Wide Web has long been host to copied and pasted stories of an apocryphal nature. These stories came to be known as Copybusta, and then the creepy variant emerged. Welcome to Creepypodsta, the Creepypasta podcast. One, record. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Jeff. I'm the host of the show. We're going to talk about some creepypastas. Well, it's here's the thing. It's not just creepypastas, because creepypasta is a very specific thing, but it's culturally more of a genre of horror media, and there are things that are creepypasta-esque without ever actually being virally distributed or having um, ambiguous provenance or uh, ambiguous realness. It's never actually ambiguous whether a creepypasta is real, but they are presented with some level of verisimilitude, and many of them take the form of epistolaries uh, in that they are forum posts where the person posting is saying that the events of the story happened to them. And in this way, it is easy to see other epistolary horror as being creepypasta-esque, or other horror that has some of these sort of genre signifiers of creepypasta as also being creepypasta-esque. I often bring up Five Nights at Freddy's as one example of this, because it has many things that are not essential pieces of creepypasta as a as a medium, but are very common to creepypasta as a medium, such as the horror of childhood and dealing a lot with nostalgia and things of that nature. And these are not, like, not every creepypasta deals with nostalgia. Not, other, not every creepypasta reappropriates some childhood icon as a point of fear. Uh, last week's episode sort of did that by positioning the eponymous Mr. Widemouth as Furby-like. So it almost is like he's a murderous Furby. Similarly, um, the Abandoned by Disney classic is about these haunted Disney mascot characters. Uh, Candle Cove is about a show that all of these people watched as a kid that is in some way spookified. And Ben Drowned and Pokemon Black are about these, um, these haunted individual game cartridges rather than being a whole experience that is haunted like uh, Candle Cove. It is a single individual instance of something that you, the reader, loved as a child being corrupted in some way. And I think that something that these stories speak to very strongly is this idea uh, that, to, to use a turn of phrase, you can't go home. Um, it's, it's, even if the authors don't, aren't intentionally doing this, they're sort of saying with these stories like your Five Nights at Freddy's or your Ben Drowned or your Pokemon Black or your Candle Cove that you can never recapture the way you felt as a child and that there's something 
scary about this, uh, that even if you go back and replay a Pokemon game, or if you go back to Chuck E. Cheese, it's never going to be like it was. It's never going to feel how it felt. And there is... Instead of turning this into a story of sadness, they turn it into horror, where these things become malicious. And I, I think that is something that is very interesting about creepypasta in the nostalgia way. There is also creepypasta in the just trying to trick people with a spooky story way. And that is the that is more along the lines of what we are discussing this week. The story is The Black Square. The source is the Reddit board No Sleep, with which I am sure many of you are familiar, because I did a poll on the Facebook group, Creepypods the Fan Group, join today, and the most common other podcasts people listen to, the like top of the poll was the No Sleep podcast. No Sleep is... There are 12 million subscribers to this subreddit. There are 4,000 people visiting it right now as I'm looking at the page for the story we're discussing. It is wildly popular, and pretty much the main source for what could be generally termed creepypasta. Though there is no ambiguity about whether these stories are real, they do maintain the format of being presented as truth from the narr the poster. The poster is, in nearly every case, the narrator occasionally being someone saying, I heard this from a friend, which is another common creepypasta trope, and removes the uh, survival aspect, because there's... Not every story on No Sleep uh, does this, but frequently you know that the main character survives because they went to post on Reddit about it because the character, big quotes, is the person who's posting. And that's definitely a problem in this story we're about to discuss. And I think five minutes, uh, six minutes is <laughs> maybe a long enough intro before uh, introducing my guests to join the conversation. Please welcome back from next week back from last week, not this week. They're, they're here back from the future. No. Please welcome back from last week, Steph Tysus. Hello. And Brad Tysus. Yeah, you're hopping, in, you're hopping in your TARDIS, joining uh, Jodie Whittaker for her adventures as the Doctor. When does that come out? Is she is she not getting to do any Doctor Who until the Christmas special this year? What's happening? I have no idea. I think uh, because of the new showrunners and everything, I think that they're delaying it for Christmas. It's so um, weird because like the fact that it's a whole new cast and showrunners meant that they could have started whenever. Yeah. <laughs> like well, they could have started filming it as soon as they knew what her regeneration scene looked like, really. Well, like, I think the big phobia of it is after Moffat and those guys left that really had so much success with it, they're not trying to lose viewership. And then there's a lot of people that have some issues about the new Doctor Who. 
They're going to gain people just from having a lady doctor. Yeah, I guess they just want to be careful and make sure they get it right. Uh, I mean, also, BBC skipped a year for Peter Capaldi also, because they don't want to spend as much money and making the show not look like garbage like it did before the reboot and for the first, like, two or three seasons of the reboot. Um costs money so if it means that we have to wait a little longer i guess that's fine because every season of capaldi's run was pretty much uh like home run and i don't think you can say that for any of the three doctors that came before him of the new slick rebooted doctor who um and i definitely know for sure that you can't say that for any of the old Doctor Who, because that is, like, mostly bad, I think. I know maybe some fans out there, there's some classic Who fans out there, but, like, come on. Yeah, even if there's stuff you like, you gotta admit, it's, like, mostly garbage, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's more, it's more vid- visually pleasing now. Yeah. Um, I'm just like, boo, bring back the mannequins. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I do like some of those cheesy monsters now that I'm no longer a cynical college student. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought Peter Capaldi was really dynamite, and I thought a lot of those stories, especially... Uh, uh, the highlight that stands out for me is uh, Mummy on the Orient Express, which is both a really funny, goofy, awesome title and a uh, good episode. Uh, this, isn't, gonna be... this isn't the Doctor Who podcast, though. Uh, I'm, I haven't seen anything past when David Tennant's Doctor died. Oh, interesting. Um, so I just it's not from wanting to not see it. It's just I just haven't. Uh, the, I liked David Tennant. There's a lot of good stuff in the Matt Smith years, um, but I think that Capaldi uh, had the strongest run of any of them. Although hmm. Ninth Doctor definitely holds a place in my heart, but man, that season was mostly bad. Just Chris Eccleston did a very if I could, good job in the role. <laughs> yeah. If I could, I would melt Doctor Who down in a spoon and inject it straight into my veins. <laughs> uh, big fan. Big fan. Uh <laughs> So let's, instead of talking about Doctor Who, talk about this story, The Black Square. Brad, you picked this randomly from our suggestion list. I don't know who suggested it because I did not make a note of that in the list, but please uh, do your best to recap it thoroughly yet concisely. I know that's a big ask. That is a very big ask. Um, So, where to start? Okay, so... I guess setting is, you know, a very typical neighborhood. Main character lives in a, a house with several roommates. Um, and you have all your neighbor tropes. There's the old kind of um, illegal substance dealing neighbor. There's the rude neighbor. Um, there's the neighbor that's from another country. You know, your typical thing. So one day, just out of the blue, a black square just shows up in their neighborhood. Um, black square... The sinister MacGuffin defies the laws of physics. Um, starts to slowly pe- uh, creep people out as they begin to get more and more paranoid. Uh, they start acting more and more erratically to the point where a lot of them are boarding up and putting bars over their windows and things like that and just being very on alert and on edge about it. Uh, the whole time, the evil MacGuffin does nothing. Um, it's just their reaction to it until... Uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. The main character tries to get people to come and help, 
and investigate this thing. Uh, he sends pictures and stuff and video and, you know, contacts news stations and tries to contact people in the government. Uh, by crazy happenstance, he goes to a bar one night, is getting drunk, and he's talked to a gentleman who just so happens to be uh, an investigator for the government for things like this. He comes now, out, he takes did, a look. He did meet that guy previously. That was the guy who showed up when he called, and so this was like a follow-up. Okay. Yeah, so that uh, wasn't that wasn't as huge of a coincidence. I think I'll, I think I, I want to stand up for the story in this little way. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. He um, when he called all these places, finally someone was like, "Okay, I'll get you in touch with someone," and that's who they got him in touch with. Yeah, and that guy showed up, set a that's camera up on a tripod, and left, and did not show up again until this bar scene. Yeah, and uh. He starts asking, like, okay, well, this is great. What are you going to do about it? And what she reveals, uh, nothing. I'm pretty much the only person left that does that. Budget cuts, you know, destroy my department. The only reason I have a job is they forgot I'm here. And that's pretty much it. Uh, more, you know, then the neighbors take a weird turn where they decide to put their heads in the sand about the MacGuffin. And, like, just ignore it's there. And, like, oh, it's not dangerous. And the main character's like, oh, no, it's dangerous. We need to do something. Finally culminates to a night where, essentially, the neighbors break into the main character's house and kind of drag him out. His roommates betray him. Which, anybody that's ever had roommates and has somebody that, like, steadily pays their share of the electric bill knows that you will defend that person with your life. Uh... Drag him out. This big conversation ensues where instead of just them shooting him, oh, he breaks a baseball bat over somebody's head, which the person is pretty much fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. Exactly. He doesn't even pass out from that. I have a big problem with that. Yeah. Um, he convinces him to let him crawl inside the square. Um, he does so. Uh, comes back out and spends, I think, like six weeks staring at a wall, trying to bleach his mind. Uh, the whole thing that. Brings that up is before that I'm jumping around too much I know, um somebody's house gets destroyed, just broken into. Well, and there's like this green and through blue goop everywhere and these claw marks inside of their home and things like that. And instead of going like, oh, this is obviously the work of a monster, they blame the guy that is trying to comment that the square is square is dangerous, and uh. Blame it on him, trying try to say that he did this on purpose to try to, you know, rally everyone against the square. And, yeah, that's pretty much it until the sequel. Did I miss anything? I don't think I missed anything. Uh, no, that's, that, yeah, you pretty much got it. Um, so, how did you feel about this story when you first read it? So, um, immediately... It reminded me of the Twilight Zone, which I like. It was it's pretty cerebral. Monsters are doing uh, um, I, I I I I really wanted to enjoy it more. It was really hard to finish. Mm. Like it it was it was tough to get through after a certain point. And uh, yeah, it, it was just it was really just tough because I had a hard time identifying with the main character or the neighbors. Um, there's no big bad monster that you actually hear about or really see. It's all like aftermath stuff, and it's pretty much. Uh, it, it was just it was a little tough to read. Like I think in a different medium, it probably would have done better. Uh, 
But yeah, I, yeah, it definitely felt like a short film to me. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, because it's it's basically a Twilight Zone episode, but as a short story. Steph, how did you feel about it? Um, it was a little hard for me to get through initially, but when things started happening, they were interesting. Like, I think the top comet, uh, put it together pretty succinctly. It's, it's very, the monsters are due on Maple Street. Yes. Uh, that is, um, like, almost exactly what the story is. <laughs> but yeah, I think it would have done a lot better as a short film rather than a story. Because the parts where nothing's really happening could have a lot of dramatic tension rather than just be kind of boring. But they do have pictures. Um, yeah, there's a couple pictures. Um, that it's not good. <laughs> Weirdly. That's not photo- okay. That is obviously not photoshopped, sir. <laughs> like, that's right up there with the original picture of Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster. It's hard to represent this uh, phenomenon in still images, because the entire point of it is that it just appears to be a square hole in space, and so the, like, the pictures of it just look photoshopped, and it's even called out in the story when he sends these to the government or whoever to try and get them to... Oh no, he sends these to the media to try and get them to pay attention. And they don't because the photos look fake. Which is like... Yeah. Of course. That's (laughs) like... So they, they just don't do it. They just don't have it. Um... And it's like... So looking at the pictures does not add anything to the story for me. What is interesting about the pictures is it's always a square. It's not like you can see it at an angle and it's got kind of a parallelogram look to it. Like if you saw a piece of cardboard sticking up out of the ground would look from an angle. It's always a square no matter where you look at it. It's almost yeah. like two, two-dimensional in a 3D space, which is kind of weird. But, but yeah, it's that's following you. <laughs> sort of the point of it, I guess, um, which... Uh, like, that is spooky to me, but I think that it was probably a mistake to include the pictures. Although, I do sort of like the last picture because it's got the black, like, MS Paint square, and then there's some, like, leaves <laughs> from a tree in front of it. So, yeah. I, think, I think that's pretty neat, but in general, I don't think that it is good. Like, maybe if he had done a video, that would have worked. Um, cause it would have been weird to have him like try to go from different, different angles, but it's still a square the whole time. But yeah. Um, gotcha. I, I think that the commentary of the story is a little weak. I get what it's going for with trying to make some comment on paranoia in the modern age and it really hangs a lampshade on it towards the end when the leader of this sort of mob that has led uh our our nameless main character into the street and to to force him to go into the black square uh he he says you guys broke into my house with guns and the leader of the mob while holding guns after pulling the guy out of his house says fake news um, <laughs> so it's it's trying to sort of make a commentary about this like right wing conspiracy theory paranoia but it doesn't really take that stance strongly enough in that none of the 
paranoia is framed in a like xenophobic or uh, regressive way in any other instance. Like they all get along fine. Uh, and then they start acting like weirdos when this mysterious portal shows up. Um, and they have a good reason to be suspicious of this square because monsters are coming out of it, out of it and attacking people. But instead of addressing the monsters, they are attacking each other. And I think that is a little bit of a sinister message when you're also tying it to like conspiracy theories. It's almost saying like, uh, oh, there there is bad things happening, but they're blaming the wrong people for the bad things. When really all of these conspiracy theories, like your Pizza Gates and whatnot, are nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they're, they're all fully make-believe, so it's it's very weird that it's almost like saying, like, yes, this is real, but uh, you're looking at the wrong people to blame. You should be blaming these, uh, I don't know, like, outsiders and not the people in your community, um, which, I don't know, it's kind of a weird message. I Maybe the author wasn't trying to make any of these points at all and uh but like i think you need to be conscious of the things you're putting in your stories as a creator especially if you are making explicitly making a political uh commentary with the story which this author matt demersky absolutely is he puts in there a very politically loaded statement on purpose and does not back it up and i think that's a little cowardly as uh as an author I'll be honest with you, like, um, that, that's one issue I have with a lot of the aspects and, and, you know, center points of the story and the plots and things is so much of it's half in, half out. If you're going to make a statement about something, make the statement. Be bold about it. Don't yeah. go half in. I mean, you might as well go all the way with it. I mean, even if you're, like, worried about backlash and things like that, the thing, even if you go full tilt of what you think about, the the end result of what people are going to say that you said or paint the the picture that they're going to paint about it, it's going to be a million times worse than anything you actually have ever done. So, I mean, you should have just let it rip if he's going to do it. Yeah, exactly. Just, are like, we gonna, go for it. Are we going to see a wrestling match between you and the author? <laughs> yeah, of course. I, I sure hope so. I'm looking yep. forward to it. It's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> no, it's... I, I, I think that it was fine... Ultimately, like, there's nothing wrong with the um, the story doing what it did, but I think that it would be a stronger story if either the spooky thing is not actually spooky, and so the paranoia is the actual monster, or you kind of remove the paranoia aspect as being as strong as it is and make it a monster story. Honestly, I would like the paranoia story better, but um, uh, I know you mentioned being, uh, like, anticipating this monster story and then not getting it, and that being this sort of point of disappointment. Yeah, yeah, blue balls. I was yeah. very excited about that. Then they just ripped it away from me. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, it's, it's so odd. Like, why do that? Why not just again, us... Again, don't, don't be half in, half out. Either pull the trigger on it or, or don't. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I think that's all we have to say about the story until we get to the next segment, Spookiest Parts. Steph, what's the spookiest part of this story for you? 
Oh, just the whole thing. No, um, <laughs> probably the part where a neighborhood of people that seem to get along pretty well for the most part turn against each other so quickly over something that's, I mean, it's not mundane, but they're clearly not panicking about the thing that they should panic about. They're yeah. bl- blaming it on a member of their community, and mm. that's and it's groundless. That's scary. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh, I I kind of agree. Uh, I have a specific moment to call out, but first, Brad, what's the spookiest part for you? So, it, it's, it's not to drag this on too terribly long, but. My, it's really weird because this is a very technically sound story. Like it's written well. The person oh, yeah. knew what they were doing. It's just their narrative is too all over the place. So it's really hard to say which part's spooky because you're constantly giving me new things to be spooked out about and you're constantly changing people's attitudes and motivations in a very short period of time. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, other than the fact that there's a sequel to it, um, the spookiest thing about this, I would say, is the point where uh, there's a section in the story where uh, the government official's talking to the guy, and he's like, oh, well, you're going to come help now. And he's like, no. And he's like, there's 47 other spots in this state alone that need someone's attention, and it's just me. So the idea that, you know, there's 40 other locations that have this, you know, unrest and, you know, fall of civilization and, you know, very disorderly conduct between people going on and no one's doing anything about it. I mean, that's kind of an eerie feeling about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I I liked that also. Um, uh, for me, the scariest part is when the neighbor, Anton, uh, is talking to... He, he's first... Our nameless narrator is first confronted by Bill and the other people saying... Accusing him of staging the breakout to make them be paranoid about the black square that they insist is harmless. Uh, and he's going back into his house and Anton, the, his like direct... I think directly next door neighbor, uh, says, uh, you're gonna get yourself killed. And then mentions, like, yeah, I watch it, and it's scary every day, but I don't say anything, because everybody is gonna, um, everybody's gonna flip out about it. And the idea that there's other people who agree with the narrator that they should be paying attention to this, but they're not saying anything, uh, I think is very spooky. I like that. I think that's a good aspect, and I wish there was more of it in the story. Can I ask a question real quick? Yeah. Um, just uh, out of curiosity, like from now on on your show, could all nameless narrators be known as Kevin? Mm, but what if they're not? What if there is one named Kevin though? He's he in good be company. Kevin, but for real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, He'd be yeah. Kevin Prime. Yeah, Ke- Kevin is for real. That's what it would be. <laughs> uh, no, it's I. I um. I think that it's interesting how many creepy pastas have nameless narrators. Um, it's, Kevin's. It's yes. yeah, Kevin's. It's very hard to um make it like feel right. Like well, it's, it's 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 difficult to write a story in the first person that is a short story and not a full length novel and have the main character's name be transmitted information from the author to audience. Um and- I won't. I won't disagree that my only problem with this one is it's so hard for me to not only relate, but to really get behind the main character or the neighbors in this as it is. 
that I mean it could have helped kind of maybe think of him as a real person as opposed to a flat out vehicle to push the plot forward. Yeah, maybe at, at the very least introduce the narrator could be like, Hey, uh I'm posting this story, my name is blah. Uh, yeah. but nope, doesn't do that. So You'd think at some point someone would say his name. That's a thing that I see in a lot of stuff. Like people don't say my name very often, but when they're trying to get my attention, they don't go, Hey buddy. They go, Hey Steph. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weird one for sure. Um uh, I think that's our, our last thoughts on the story, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move into plugs. Brad, where can the people find you online in the places that you would like them to? I actually just recently quadrupled my uh, social media um, presence. So since your plugs were fake, Steph, what do you want to plug? <laughs> <laughs> His plugs are always fake. Never listen to anything he says. He's a writer. Um <laughs> I came from Jeff's imagination. Technically, he did this to himself. Okay. Well, he's a writer sure. too. My, We're still uh, you can find that. me on. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can find me in Jeff's imagination, and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram as Pokemaniac Steph. Um, uh, we, we have come to the conclusion that Stephanie Kingsbury and I are the same person. Yeah, um, very similar Twitter names. Um, you can find uh, it's it's very weird, like because you're Steph and she's Stephanie, and she's Pokemantic on Twitter, and you have a Pokemon name. I don't think hers is Pokemon related. I I don't think so either. But it's just like a weird coincidence. <laughs> I commented on some. I think I was telling her happy birthday, and she's like, "You're a Stephanie too," and our names are are. Handles are really similar. Are we the same person? I have to assume. It's probably true. (laughs) Yeah. You can also uh, go to our website, which I'm sure Jeff will ever so kindly put in the description again. Yeah, it'll Um, be there. We'll have our both of our web comics on there. Uh, Brad writes them, and I draw them. And our Etsy store is there, and just all of the things that you would ever need to do with us. Horror Anthology, me and Eddie Price. It's going to be a thing. You should totally check it out. Graphic novel. That was horror. Yeah. Yeah, that one. You can find me on Twitter. On Twitter, J3FK. Twitter, uh, Instagram and Snapchat, JeffJK. Go to patreon.com slash JeffJK. For $1 a month, you can get some more audio stuff, including a lot of stuff where I'm reading spooky stories that we've covered on the show. You can also join the Facebook group, Creepypasta Fan Group, and that'll be a blast for you. So do it. And if you want to email me, I think you can reach me at jeff at funtimes.online. I'm not sure. Um, that's it, I think. That's all the things I have. That's it. That's all. That's the whole thing. You know what? I should find a last line, I guess, to close out instead of just saying goodbye, right? Uh, uh, you're gonna get yourself killed, boy. <laughs> yeah. Now, let's go with um, <laughs> sometimes we do better, sometimes we don't. <laughs> Thank you.